This podcast is a member of WGPRN, WildGamesProductions.com. This is Lost Heretic. I'm here with Malice again to talk about Vampire the Requiem, Vampire the Masquerade, and those awesome translation documents. Well, I'd assume they're awesome. They're not actually out yet. But we're hoping sometime soon, right? Yep. Eddie Webb said October, and I believe him. Fingers crossed. That's right. So what are we talking about today? Well, I figured we'd talk about how to take elements from Vampire the Masquerade and put them into Vampire the Requiem. I, uh, I've got notes right here to take the Masquerade Camarilla and put it into Vampire the Requiem. I've also got some ideas for how to take Vampire the Masquerade clans and put them into Vampire the Requiem. Now, to get us started, I've actually come up with some pretty radical ideas for taking Camarilla from Vampire the Masquerade and putting it into Vampire the Requiem. Now, I should probably preface this by saying that uh, I haven't read Requiem for Rome, so I don't know too much about the Camarilla. I just know a few uh, sentences from the Vampire the Requiem core book, so I'm not really sure if it's been covered in much detail in other supplements. However, my idea is to take elements such as the hierarchy of the Masquerade Camarilla and put them into Vampire the Requiem as a new covenant, which is created from the remnants of the Roman Camarilla and is now trying to take back territory in the modern nights. A new covenant. Or, if you want to use the masquerade term, you call it a sect. It's uh, a bit different from a covenant that you see in Vampire the Requiem. It's much more intertwined, it's much more global. And, as we'll get into, one of my ideas is that the Camarilla is able to communicate easily from city to city by the use of thaumaturgy. Wow, so they have they have somewhat of a global network. Exactly, which is much different than the isolationism presented with the Covenants in the core Vampire the Warpian book. Yeah, they're all stuck, stuck in one city, sort of stagnating there. Exactly. This is much more than just a simple Covenant. This is a, a movement of sorts. Even more than a movement, it's more of an army. So, taking the Camarilla and pointing into the modern Requiem setting. Uh, my recommendation would be to take the Masquerade Camarilla's overall hierarchy and insert it as a new covenant or new sect. Uh, you make the remnants of the Roman Camarilla that have survived until modern knights, 
perhaps by hiding out in corners of the world where it won't be noticed. Maybe even going towards uh, Constantinople in the uh, the Latin Roman Empire, and maybe they came out of there. The Camarilla, as presented in the modern knights of Vampires of Rupium, would be an expanding empire. They'd be taking over cities by more than just influencing mortals and other vampires, but by slaying key kindred in the city's next society. These captured cities would uh, treat members of other covenants as second-class citizens, having them constantly watched by who retainers and monitored through thaumaturgy. So, how does the Camarilla take over all these cities? Well, the Camarilla has sieges which are led by archons, and these are lieutenants of the inner circle who have been uh, made unbondable by thaumaturgical rituals. And these archons then bloodbond coteries of vampires and have them infiltrate a city society to destabilize and remove powerful kindred. So, once a city has been taken, they have thaumaturgical rituals done to prevent covenant kindred from leaving the city, uh, mostly by just having them monitored and kept track of. And this effectively enslaves them to the Camarilla. So, once the city has been taken, thaumaturgical rituals are put in place to prevent covenant kindred from leaving the city, which will effectively enslave them to the Camarilla. And the Camarilla also puts strict laws and complex traditions into place, which will give the Covenant Kindred, of course, less freedom. Each city is then controlled by a Justicar, who is supported by a coterie of blood sorcerers known as the Tremere, who for some reason share a name with these soul-sucking liches from the Mage of the Awakening game. These Tremere form his political council, as well as any archons he has ordained. Now, the Camarilla, when used in this way, bring in a number of interesting aspects and themes that were present in Vampire the Masquerade, but weren't present in Vampire the Requiem. A few of those are having a hot war between vampire factions, which are actively vying for territory. Because when the Camarilla starts making aggressive acts in the city, the uh, different covenants are going to try to band together to kick them out. Even the Invictus, which are somewhat based off of the old Camarilla teachings, are going to oppose them. I would imagine that the the other covenants would be outright volatile as far as uh, as far as a old uh, group of vampires masquerading as uh, the remnants of the Camarilla. You know, coming to take control. I don't think they would stand for that. Even the Invictus that might like this kind of structure. They're still going to oppose them because they have power in the city, and these guys are trying to come in and take that power and that influence. Well, of course, and on top of that, it's it, it wasn't their idea to do it in the first place. Of course they're going to oppose it. That's very true. Now, another idea is uh, having a global vampire conspiracy, not just these scattered fractious covenants, but having one organization which can communicate with itself and lead organized strikes or organized influence around the world. And that's what the Camarilla is because of their use of thaumaturgy, which is another point. The thaumaturgy, as presented in Vampire the Masquerade, has different paths and rituals. And in Vampire the Requiem, you only find the uh, ritual-based blood magic. So that's another thing that you can carry in. And path-based blood magic, as presented in Vampire the Masquerade, is really powerful. Uh, You can do a lot of ridiculous stuff in there, whether uh, it's just flinging giant fireballs or completely controlling the weather how would you suggest doing this like would you just go straight out from from scratch and use the discipline 
creation uh, methods found in the Requiem book, or would you use examples of the Kruak magic in uh, in various books to uh, utilize this, or how would you go about uh, doing this? I would actually use Second Sight. Would you tie it in with some of the ideals of uh, disciplines like spending blood to use uh, the abilities, or would they be innate, like in the Second Sight book? Uh, you probably would have to uh, spend blood. I've not read Second Sight, so I don't know uh, all the mechanics that are involved, but that seems to cover a wide variety of powers that Thaumaturgy was able to use in Vampire the Masquerade. A note on the Second Sight book, uh, it it does cover a vast amount of metaphysical uh, abilities, but it's almost like a watered-down magic. It's more of a magic for a game that you might not necessarily want the huge, dramatic, drastic effects. As long as you keep that in mind, you can tweak it, definitely, to to utilize it, but it might, uh, like, you'll have to add on the blood costs, and you might want to strengthen the abilities just a little bit. Good point, good point. The final point I have is that it would be very interesting to have a sect or covenant that can maintain communication between cities because that's going to make your chronicles much grander in scale. You're not going to be bound to just one place. You'll be able to easily move around and find out the politics of these different regions. So like a, a group of nomads who work as almost like the the postal carriers of the Camarilla. You could also have the coterie be... Uh, a group bloodbound to one of these archons leading a siege. And as they take one city, they might have to go scout out another region. Do some infiltration work. Precisely. Very interesting. Gives you a lot of uh, uh, covert opportunities. Uh, sounds really great for uh, maquette and gangrel vampires. Yep, definitely. So how are the covenants going to defend their cities from these uh, interlopers? Well, that's a very good question. As I mentioned before, the Camarilla's main tactic is infiltration. So Covenants are going to have to be very, very leery of new vampires coming into the city. And perhaps also Covenantless vampires, those loners that you might find. They're going to be uh, very distrustful of them. In the games that I've played, a lot of the, uh, the Covenantless vampires were looked upon as uh, threats or... Or useless. Uh, in fact, there's actually a, a term, and it's not lost from uh, old world of darkness to new world of darkness. It's just it's not as uh, predominant in the new world of darkness. But if you look in the lexicon for the uh, the old language, um, elder vampires will refer to vampires without a platform as caitiff. And this is almost like a derogatory statement. If you don't have a platform as a vampire, then you are a threat, if not a uh, insidious element to uh, kindred society, the Requiem in general. Or just a punching bag. Yeah, that's very true. Indecisive punching bag. Yep, exactly. Yeah, the old Katus scapegoat. So, the Covenants are going to have to keep a, a tight uh, control on the populations in their city. So how effective do you think this would be a defense against uh, Camarilla insurgency? It'll be pretty effective, at least uh, in the beginning. But as Kindred start losing contacts, losing influence in the city, that's when you know something's really up. 
a uh, an excellent book to check out for this exact topic of city sieges is the Vampire the Masquerade book, Midnight Siege. It covers different tactics that Kindred use to influence cities that they don't control and to gain a foothold and then finally take them. I've never read that book, but do you think uh, the Gilded Cage might come into use in this area too? Uh, I hear a lot of good things about that book as far as... Uh... It might. Gilded Cage is all about how Kindred play games of influence, which is definitely important because, as I mentioned, one tactic that could be used is to infiltrate the society and then play games of power and maybe even have one of these members of the Camarilla Coterie become Prince of the City. That'd be a very easy way for the Archon to come in and just take over the place. I don't know if that would be easy, but uh, it, uh, it would definitely be a, a spearhead uh, tactic. Yep, yep, precisely. Infiltrate, cut off the head of the ruler, and uh, take his place. Yep, definitely. Well, that's all I've really got to say about this. Uh, do you have anything else? You've mentioned uh, elements of the Tremere blood magic. Uh, coming into play uh you've mentioned uh nomadic vampires which i also highly recommend the book nomads uh i don't know how overlooked this book is uh i i didn't really know about it until i went searching for it but that i actually you know i i found it somewhat useful as it gives you a lot of things to think about as far as vampires on the road so if you have uh camarilla insurgents traveling from one city to another or coitery traveling from one city to another then it might be good to give that book a little bit of a read up just to see what you might have in store would there be any mechanics that you would suggest using to uh, create something like this in your story Hmm. any new mechanics Uh, i can't really recommend anything off the top of my head However, I'm sure there's something in Damnation City. Guaranteed, uh, it's another really highly recommended book uh, from what I've heard. I haven't read through it myself, but uh, I'll definitely have to give that a go through. Yeah, I haven't checked it out either, but uh, it's on the to buy list. It's a it's a huge book. Have you have you seen that? It's like, oh yeah, I have. It's really thick. Yeah, that's a bludgeoning weapon. Yes, you could club a baby seal. Other than uh, the Tremere controlling abilities through the blood, pretty much everything to create this in your game is already provided with the the layout in Vampire the Requiem. And there's plenty of uh, source books. What was it, the Night Raids book? Yes, Midnight Siege. Would there be any other books you'd recommend from uh, the Masquerade just to summarize for creating something like this? Well, just to get some more ideas, you might actually want to look at the Guide to the Camarilla. I'm sure there's some other functions of the sect which could be uh, transferred over that I've not considered. This is a very conceptual approach to incorporating the Camarilla into your game. If anyone gets to give that a shot, uh, definitely let us know how it uh, goes in the the forums. All right, I think we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back and talk about clans. Boy chummers, this is Sin Dead, Sisop over at the Hidden Grid, a Shadowrun podcast. I see by the confused look on your persona that you haven't been over to get your updates for Shadowrun. 
from product reviews to campaign building and management to interviews. So punch the code, crack the ice, and sleaze in to keep soda, chummer. You can find us at www.hiddengrid.com Well, I had two basic points I wanted to bring up about clans, and that's the fact that in Vampire the Requiem, we look at the five basic clans, their archetypes. And these archetypes are defined by their weaknesses, because really, when you look at them, the Mechit, the Ventru, the Gangrel, they're all a weakness and a discipline spread. So how do these archetypes work out? Well, if you look at the Nosferatu, they're quite obviously the overt monsters. The Deva are the sensual killers and stalkers of society, and the Ventru are the lords of the night. If you take a closer look at the Nosferatu and analyze their weakness and disciplines, you'll see that they have three core themes to them. They use fear to unnerve others. They are able to hide using obfuscate, and they also have their sheer strength to back up their monstrosity. Now, in Vampire the Masquerade, the clans are stereotypes. And the key thing that really defines them is the picture on the two-page spread. That's right. Theobel with a shotgun, that gangrel chick with the baseball bat. Man, I really always wanted to play those guys. But that's a big challenge when you're trying to take a clan from Vampire the Masquerade and put it into Vampire the Requiem. You're going to want to adjust it so that it really fits the themes of this game. So... Are you suggesting uh, providing a weakness and a discipline spread to masquerade clans and then uh, to sort of update them to Requiem? I think that's a good idea. Now, let me give you an example. The Lazambra in Vampire the Masquerade are the clan of shadows. They've got very much uh, Lords of the Night feel to them. And the way that I would put them into Vampire the Requiem to make them unique and interesting would be to give them the archetype of the higher predator, the the vampire who is far above being a mortal. And they would probably have the same discipline spread, Obtenebration, which can be found in Vampire the Requiem. You check Bloodlines the Hidden for the Kaibit, and they would have a weakness which would be that they are more likely to frenzy if the if a mortal is antagonizing them. And if they are very hungry, if they're low on blood, it's much harder for them to resist feeding from a mortal. Okay, so they're, they're more susceptible to the trials of immortality and the separation between uh, themselves and the mortal world. Yep, you've got it. So that's not really covered by any of the other clans, but it's definitely an integral theme in vampire fiction. Would you suggest making this, like, its own clan? Like, I guess it's whatever you want to do in your game, but as a suggestion, would you suggest uh, making this a clan in and of itself or maybe taking the Ventru and uh, applying a bloodline to them, a Lissombra bloodline? I would probably make them their own clan. I think that's really the point of the segment is to take clans from Vampire the Masquerade and put them in to Vampire the Requiem as close as possible, yet still have them be unique and interesting and fit into the archetype definition. 
All right. Yep. It's it's a great way of uh, of going about it. Of course, we want to sort of bring back as much of the uh, glory of the masquerade clans into uh, Requiem without uh, tailing it on to something that already exists. Now, another clan that I was considering was actually the Asimites, which we discussed in the last show. Now, I would probably keep their masquerade discipline spread, give them celerity, obfuscate, and quietus, which would be a silence discipline in Vampire the Requiem. But I would make their archetype the silent killer, which means not only silently killing vampires by use of their stealth and silence, but also of mortals. Now, to accentuate this, I would give them a weakness that they cannot be seen feeding by mortals. And if they are noticed, then they'll actually begin vomiting the blood that they just fed on, which would be a horrendous masquerade breach. Vampire bulimics. <laughs> yeah. But that brings in a very interesting weakness and a very interesting element. And one thing to note is that feeding on a kindred would not cause this, which means that you might get lots of Diablerists, which will keep an element that they had in Vampire the Masquerade. If you're strong enough to uh, take on another vampire, because you've got to remember the, uh, the vampire kiss doesn't affect other vampires. You're full-on ripping into another vampire's throat, and they're aware of it. So, Vulisamra now, if we bring them over into the Requiem, what disciplines would you probably give them? Obtenebration, Potence, and Dominate. Those are their masquerade disciplines. Okay, and you would give them the Requiem uh, counterparts? Yep. Then then we're looking at their weaknesses. With all this strength and uh, the mastery over shadows with Obtenebration... They have to actually live their vampire lives in this sort of covert, in the shadows sort of state. Like they cannot be seen feeding, okay, by yep. by mortals. Like to be seen feeding by mortals is like it's it's bad enough if it's recognizable as vampiric feeding, but most of the time, you know, it can be uh, passed off as uh, you know a kiss on the neck or what have you. Uh, Usually it's not that visible, you know, unless someone knows what they're looking for. But in this case, you have a vampire that feeds, and then if they notice that they've been seen by a mortal, or is it by mortals or is it by just any anyone? Just mortals. So they can be in Elysium, and if there's just one mortal right there, they can feed all they want. Vampires don't care. So there's like this... Uh, this mystical sort of connection with being uh, stealth and being connected to the shadows that you have to like to be seen is enough to cause a vampire to purge all the blood that they just ingested would this cause any damage to the the vampire or would it just be a visual display I don't think it would cause any damage. It would just be visual. That is quite a dramatic negative side effect of being a Asimite. It's not so much uh, like if you do this, you're going to take this point of damage. It has sort of a a dramatic effect in the story that it could, in fact, cause masquerade breaches. Yes, exactly. Or just ex- extreme discomfort, to the very least, to, for your vampire. Indeed, and that's one of the things that Vampire the Masquerade was really known for. Some of these elements, some of these ideas, some of these weaknesses of vampires were pretty drastic. 
Uh, for example, there was the Nagaraja bloodline, which had to consume a health point of flesh every day in addition to blood. Oh, and there's also the Salubri, whose weakness allows them to only take blood from those who give it willingly, which has a whole lot of problems associated with it. So that's about all I've got to say regarding bringing Masquerade clans into Vampire the Requiem. And I'm sure with these few basic ideas, it's going to be pretty easy for people to port the other clans over. So now that my mic is working, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. You are in the dark, cold dungeon. You see a wooden door in front of you. I open the door. The door is locked. Fine. Then I unlock the door. You have unlocked the door. Okay, now I open the door. The wooden door creaks open and there, standing in the hallway, is a goblin. Finally, something to fight. I fire an arrow at it. The goblin eats your arrow. Um, I throw a rock at it. The goblin eats the rock. How about I just punch the thing? The goblin bites your fist. You take two points of damage. Ow! I cast magic missile! The goblin cries out in pain and the body crumples to the floor. Loot the body! You discover a piece of parchment. Unraveling it, a voice emanates from it. For more things to throw at goblins, visit swingandamiss.net. Listen to our actual plays at swingandamiss.net. Alright, Melly's hit the road, so it's just me. To type a few loose ends, I think this is going to be the last Requiem for a Masquerade episode for a while, but Melis and I are pretty excited to uh, talk about this a bit more. However, we understand that there's more to the world of darkness than just vampires. One thing coming up during this is a video bookbinding tutorial that I'm trying to put together. It should be pretty interesting, and it'll help people fix up their old World of Darkness books, and maybe even some of their new ones. So, until next time, this is Lost Heretic signing off.